Hi everyone. I'm really, really excited to host Vishu Bhushan. He's an associate at Zaha Hadid Architects and works at Computational and Design Research Group in London. He leads the design research with computational geometries with specific interest on structure and fabrication aware tectonics, which incorporate digital form finding, topological optimization, statistical learning. He also leads the development of software agnostic computational framework to explore the above. We should teaches at architectural computation and, arch and architectural design Bartlett postgraduate programs at UCL and I have been following Vishu's work from since from like Digital Futures Workshop, all the various uh, platform where Vishu shares his work. Like I'm a, I really admire work and can't be more excited for this interview. <laughs> uh, thanks for the invite and the introduction. It's a pleasure uh, being here and uh, talking and talking to you. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for the invite again. <laughs> No problem. Uh, Vishu, can you share uh, some highlights from your career and what were some key defining moments which got you into technology in architecture and research? Mm, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I did my, uh, like, since my grad, uh, did my BR in Pune uh, in India, I was kind of interested in geometry, but didn't have the, we didn't know uh, what tools were available uh, we are kind of using at that time uh, still very AutoCAD 3D and early versions of Rhino uh, so we are still figuring it out but in general there was like a lot of uh, interest uh, in geometry uh, it's kind of I think in the family <laughs> because both my dad is also an architect uh, he was interested in these kind of geometrical things and my brother as well so uh, they gu guided me well, uh, and, and then I did my master's at the Architectural Association Design Research Lab, where uh, we got exposed to a lot of the coding aspects, uh, looking at uh, processing, uh, JavaScript and Java, and then slowly getting into uh, core, core level coding in uh, C++. So, yeah, so, yeah, this, there were general interests, I would say. Uh, and it's also a bit of the schooling background in India, where uh, in the uh, for my 11th and 12th grade, uh, there was already an option to choose computer science as a uh, as a subject, and uh, I chose that. And so I had a bit of understanding of how to write code uh, while I was in school. So that kind of helped uh, to grasp quite a lot of things when we started getting into uh, creative coding uh, at the DRL and uh, subsequently uh, joining Zaha in 2013 um, as part of the computation and uh, design group. So initially when we joined, there were only like uh, the four of us in the team. So we got, so I learned quite a lot from the other three who were in the team at that time. They taught me how to write code uh, for uh, architectural softwares uh, like Maya, Rhino and, uh, and how to use it in actual design. So it's not like only writing code, but code for design research. So, and that's where uh, the major focus is for us uh, as a team. I see. And like with all these transitions into technology, like was there any point you, you felt it very overwhelming about learning these things and like the atmosphere, like 
were there any like challenging moments in this journey yeah for sure learning learning how to code is quite challenging uh, you need to uh, go through so you need to first of all understand what you're writing code for so you need to read a lot of papers or so you and these kind of these papers are not very visual right so it's uh, so you need to read them multiple times just to understand so those are kind of difficulties uh, generally you face when you start off uh, and then also looking to debug things there will you struggle quite a lot so those things are so you need to put in quite a lot of effort to do learn these things uh, but yeah there were these forums online uh, you go through stack overflow or forums in rhino uh, for geometrical forums in other uh, institutes uh, trying to understand what what people have done to solve similar issues and then uh, figure out what is the best way forward so we kind of understanding what others are doing that's kind of a critical main path and to do, understand that takes a bit of time i see and you have like very uh, multiple interests across various disciplines and how do you keep up to date with all these developments and like stay at the top <laughs> yeah, yeah it's uh, yeah, twitter <laughs> kind of following people on twitter that's kind of the major way to keep abreast with uh, what's happening in uh, technology and uh, uh, and then we have these collaborative projects uh, with uh, industry partners and other collaborators uh, so that's also keeps us uh, abreast with uh, technology uh, what what people are currently investing uh, in uh, investing their time in and then we try to contribute in that uh, so that's how we yeah major source would be i would say twitter is uh, kind of a major source and then uh, look i we kind of look go through all the institutes uh, academic institutes like eth zurich uh, ucl uh, at the a what the students are doing uh, what the phd candidates are doing uh, even at iac and uh, on even west coast uh, us uh, so we have kind of affiliations uh, academic affiliations in these countries as well so so we tend to follow their papers so new papers which come out so we know what's happening or cooking in these places <laughs> got it yeah and can you show us like uh, some insights about coding at zaha how is like uh, the tech stack and things you do yeah sure let me share my screen are you able to see my screen yep yeah, um, yeah so, um, maybe I skip the presentation, uh, the introduction, which Mayur already sa said that, yeah, these are our two affiliations at the uh, computation and design group at Zahadid Architects. And uh, we also run a studio uh, with Tommaso and Shajay at the uh, University College of London, uh, architectural computation. Yeah, as I said, like I'm part of uh, uh, CODE. Uh, CODE is currently which is acronym for computation and design started in 2007 and uh, uh, yeah it's been 15 years and uh, every year we kind of grow by one person on average so currently we are 15 people so it was started by Shajay, uh, Patrick and Niels I think there were only two people when they started and then subsequently now we have come up to 15 people yeah so since its inception we were kind of uh, so this was another way 
one of the mandates for the team was to have create this interdisciplinary network of collaborators and uh, and we had to develop that network and that's also a reason why or answering your previous question how do we try to keep uh, what's happening on the technology side uh, it is through these uh, interdisciplinary collaborators we kind of build our networks on uh, and that's why we are kind of aware of what's happening and also patrick uh, uh, brings in quite a few of the some of these interesting uh, pilot projects uh, which kind of start off uh, our investigations in certain certain fields uh, like uh, when we got into high resolution 3d printing uh, with statuses or uh, and then now shajai does similar things for the team as well uh, bringing in these kind of collaborative uh, projects uh, yeah so our research as you might have known is also kind of based on geometry so that's why like our libraries are developed on uh, geometries uh, because they are kind of the shared language and also uh, like a language for collaboration with our collaborators uh, yeah like coming to the coding part uh, yeah most of the members in the team uh, kind of code uh, so that's kind of we favor first principles to write our own code uh, to understand the algorithms better and it also helps us integrate it into the design pipeline better because we understand uh, what's happening what's the algorithm actually doing so we kind of in this is where we need to look up at papers understand their uh, if there is no computational equivalent we understand through papers and try to implement our own but now there are like a lot of platforms uh, uh, out there uh, which also gives you the code so which is kind of easy to see and uh, implement on top of it or integrate it into our workflows uh, yeah so as i was saying it as a group we are interested in uh, design coding for design so it's all of these tools or stack is to augment design intelligence uh, it is to aid uh, at design, give as much information as possible at an early stage about structure, about fabrication, or any other performance criteria we want to attach. Uh, as a stack, uh, yeah, like we, on one hand, we need to develop the core stack, uh, which is currently we uh, develop that core in C++ framework, and then uh, try to have uh, plugins into all the platforms the office uh, uses so which is uh, predominantly autodesk maya and rhino and then more so now with machine learning we have to integrate with python uh, and then uh, revit uh, through rhino inside so so that's kind of the core stack uh, we kind of keep uh, trying to keep updating our framework on uh, but the focus of it uh, let me see yeah, the focus of the core stack uh, is kind of split into these two aspects, uh, which is kind of content creation and content delivery. So on the so predominantly the stages of the project. So on the left, uh, focusing more on early stage design, uh, and on the right, focusing on uh, at the later stages where you uh, like detailed design where you need to uh, rationalize geometry or get in costing. Uh, so these kind of uh, so yeah, so we have a role in, uh, depending on projects, some projects we are involved at a very early stage on the left. So we need tools there. 
in some projects we are involved at a very later later stages so then we need tools corresponding to that yeah that's the current uh, uh, kind of the stack we have which is plugging into um, into the different softwares through plugins uh, yeah it's kind of getting uh, interesting when we are trying to connect to all of these uh, softwares and as i said like yeah all of these uh, like it's we learn from uh, our contemporaries and from history as well so we look at a lot of uh, this is not an exhaustive list but we look at a lot of uh, computational computational tech related things at uh, eth zurich uh, looking at the interactive geometry lab there uh, they have this library called the libigl uh, which we kind of uh, for uh, so their libigl uh, um, is kind of a header only paradigm so it is uh, it's again based in c++ and we kind of uh, aligned our framework to be similar thought process that it is header only so you don't need to build uh, dependencies so that's that was one of the reasons and then they also have a viewer a geometrical viewer which are independent of the software uh, so you can do quick test and sandbox testing uh, to test if the algorithm works and then once you are happy with it then uh, you can plug it into all the softwares we use uh, similarly uh, looking at the polyscope uh, which was kind of developed uh, uh, by a student there a phd student at the geometry collective at the carnegie mellon university uh, we we are also we kind of use uh, this is keenan crane's uh, heat method and developer buys on the left and right middle one and then they developed a similar kind of interface likely by gel creating polyscope which also has its own viewer to create these kind of sandbox environments and also more coming to the aec side uh, yeah looking at the block research group uh, and their uh, framework called compass uh, which is uh, based on Python, but similar idea. So they they can integrate into the different workflows also, but they also have a viewer where they test uh, sandbox these testing and then develop on top of it. Uh, other ones we look, yeah, like we kind of look into this kind of NVIDIA. So this is called the GPU gems. Uh, we look at algorithms there, uh, it's kind of, uh, like looking at uh, geometry processing and occlusion lighting how to use the gpu so these are kind of this is not an exhaustive list i just put in a few uh, to get an idea and on the framework yeah so uh, we are kind of at the at this is kind of a current moment so we kind of have like a core framework which is kind of developed inside uh, using people at code and then develop an api uh, which uh, so the core is uh, developed by only a few people so uh, it doesn't um, uh, so it, it can accommodate for changes uh, but not not many people are contributing there but the code developer part so that is where it, you need the api so people who know a bit of coding can start using the api to make these function calls and create these sandbox applications and test the algorithm and then uh, subsequently, if you don't know any of the coding, then you kind of use uh, the plugins 
uh, which kind of come at a later stage uh, in Maya or Unreal or Rhino. Um, yeah, and you can see the varying ranges of topics we kind of have. One is uh, the architectural geometry, which is like a core interest. Under that, we have structure, fabrication, and um, uh, sign distance fields, etc. Uh, looking at data and machine learning, and um, yeah, some utilities and display aspects as well. Mm, yeah, this is our framework. Uh, yeah, like the documentation is still quite early, so we are still developing that. Uh, yeah, this is kind of the first versions of it. And yeah, so similar kind of drawing uh, from the knowledge of uh, the, all the examples I cited. Uh, we kind of developed like our own, uh, <clears throat> like a sketch format uh, where this is like the sandbox environment uh, where you, similar to processing as well in that sense. So you have these kind of uh, setup, draw, update, main methods where you write uh, call these methods from our framework and then you press play and check uh, check so this is a custom viewer uh, based on OpenGL and then testing out uh, if the code actually works and then once we are happy with it then this becomes a plugin so this one's currently looking at uh, I think the video here is looking at uh, uh, looking at some kind of structural uh, systems, uh, looking at form finding, uh, using uh, kind of uh, um, best fit best fit for like so. It's given any input geometry, it's finding the nearest uh, compression shape. So that's the kind of the algorithm which is running. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah, so those, uh, yeah, there are more things, but yeah, if you if you want to stop and discuss a bit more in detail, uh, we can we can uh, go over any specific aspect. Definitely, uh, I, I think like if you uh, the the tech stack diagram was quite interesting, and the framework you have developed like it makes a very like logical approach based on the different user categories you have in the company and like wh how. Wh What's the easiest onboarding experience for to integrate these tools for them? Like, that's mm -hmm. that's incredible. So, yeah. my question is like, uh, for example, let's say if if someone in AC wants to create similar framework or start with something like, uh, what's your piece of advice where like how to get started for? for the intent and goals they have. And sometimes it's challenging to have funding for the research at this scale. So how to take those baby steps to develop something like this? Yeah, so all of these uh, didn't like happen. Yeah, it, is, uh, it built over a period of time. So like initially also like all of this code was not structured. Uh, it was all uh, kind of written. So, so all of the specific code uh, features or like classes were kind of written based on applic uh, project applications. So we were embedded in projects. Uh, so if we if the project needed form finding, uh, we had to write our form finding tools uh, during that project. And then it becomes part of initially. So it, now we see it like this, right? That it is going from left to right. You start with the source code, then there is an API, then there is user development, and then you have the plugins. 
but the actual production of it doesn't follow this pipeline so generally you might be create because you're on projects you have to create like uh, tools which work on the project given the timeline so generally we are kind of starting from the plugin uh, where you're testing new things because you want to integrate it into the project pipeline so writing small tools and then once we once the project is done uh, we we kind of extract the core aspects of that and then uh, put it back into the framework then that is when it goes back to the left side and becomes part of the core framework so then sub in subsequent projects uh, we can use it again so yeah so it's kind of you need to build it over a period of time so if i were to uh, think back now uh, the framework uh, wouldn't um, unless you have the as a framework as a project uh, it's always beneficial to start small try small tools but you keep a repo of these tools uh, and then subsequently once you have a bit of a base in uh, an understanding of how to write these tools uh, you can go back and start setting up the framework uh, i would say so and then you can learn from yeah like it's great that like all of the other companies and the institutes are also doing it on open source so like compass or uh, libigl or uh, polyscope they're all open source so you can open up the git repo and see how the code is structured there and that is like a uh, another good way to understand uh, how to write code or how to structure your framework and obviously other software apis as well like maya rhino so we kind of have borrow heavily from the structuring of uh, how it's done in maya uh, because uh, they have the structure that there are objects and then there are function sets which kind of query on the objects so that's what we also have in our case that you have an object class and then there is a function class with, through which you query so this diagram is similar to that in that sense in maya got it and uh from from my observation like uh the in in firms that are like computational design leaders who ensures in in the whole firm people adopt the let's say standard grasshopper practices but also like people have their own spaghetti grasshopper code and like people customize it based on different offices so my question is like are there any uh, guidelines or principles you have developed in the firm which ensures like everyone uh uh, uses these tools in a particular format and how to ensure like good onboarding experience for the new people who join the firm or people who are interested mm, yeah so yeah that's mm, yeah that's an interesting one I, yeah like uh, we have been thinking about uh, doing these kind of templates and things but, but predominantly what happens uh, in projects uh, is like we get involved in the project so uh, we as a team are in in the part of the project so we kind of set up the workflow and uh, set up the tools uh, required and then uh, pass it on to the rest of the team to use it so we so we have to be part of the project in that sense because we then only we know what is the requirement uh, and what needs to be done and trying to set up a workflow there uh, for that specific project and then implement the tool and then transfer it over or in implement a definition and then transfer it over or it, it depends on also the timeline of the project so if the timeline is really short 
then things are happening concurrently so there is like uh, we are developing some part of the code uh, someone else in the design team would also be developing their bits of code and then we kind of uh, come to a natural mid ground where we transfer files or transfer code or transfer geometry and then subsequently develop the deliverables so there's no like one set of paradigm which is uh, uniform across all projects and, and across all teams because in zaha uh, because of the number of teams we have each each team has their own way of working so you can't have a unified system uh, but you can have general thumb rules to say okay uh, having a cleaner mesh geometry is good uh, already for rationalizing and things like that so generally if we we have found it successful when we kind of get early on in the project when we get involved in early stages of the project it's easier to transfer a workflow uh, but for later stages uh, it is uh, you have to be you have to adapt it on the fly to the requirements of the projects yeah makes a lot of sense and uh, so uh just for like a particular scenario let's say uh, you want to integrate a structural optimization uh, component and there are a couple of ways you can go either you can integrate uh, a third party library inside it either you can develop your own library from scratch or either you can uh, do like a freelancing or subcontract it to third party developers so like what what are some uh, principles you make decisions on like what to develop next and like uh, not not to reinvent the wheel in areas yeah mm. yeah so in general mm, yeah like kind of structure and things for early stage so we don't implement tools for like let's say when it is finite element uh, solvers uh, these kind of things uh, like topology optimization or uh, fe analysis uh, or uh, yeah in general uh, volumetric analysis uh, so these kind of fe based analysis their tools already very robust in the aec industry and we tend to use existing ones like altair uh, for topology optimization or karamba uh, we use these kind of tools which are available uh, but for early stage design uh, tools which are, are predominantly like uh, thrust network analysis or force density method, which are geometric based uh, structural form finding. Uh, we write uh, we write our own uh, based on papers because it it becomes a design tool. So then it needs to be gets embedded into. It's not an analytical tool; it's a design tool. So it needs to embed into the design workflow. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. Uh, so you can't iterate uh, through options. So yeah so mostly like which kind of aid early stage design we tend to write our own or try to make a version of our own uh, based on existing libraries uh, but for later stages uh, of structural studies like structural analysis uh, predominantly engineers do it as well uh, in projects but if we were to use it then we use existing tools got it and uh, I, i'm curious to know like so like we see often like generative design modules or like for urban planning building design like uh, are there any like modules specifically like for generative design use case or like uh, how how would you approach like 
uh, explorative phase in in early stage yeah so these ones uh, yeah so again so we have some uh, classes which we, which we kind of developing to explore these things but in general uh, these are tools set up on a project right because it is not like the same tool gets used everywhere so it also depends on uh, the comfort of the team uh, so we, it, it, it depends on uh, because a lot of the studies in 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 the office uh, kind of also done uh, there's quite a lot of modeling aspect as well so it, even though it's generative but uh, there's there is a bit of control through modeling so it has to interface with the modeling side of things so yeah the tools in that sense can't be generic like but there'll be generic things like okay there is like a field class so if you want to explore fields how to populate a field with uh, buildings or massing blocks or if there is a sign distance field uh, sign distance function based uh, generating massing options based on that uh, so the and then so like i don't know if you remember so we did the science museum there was this pod which was using like a mathematical equation to drive the generation of the form so this that is where like generative aspect comes in but eventually it has to tie in with uh, the modeling aspect or the design aspects where because not everything can be uh, procedurally generated so it ha it's always a hybrid so there is someone studying from the modeling side of things and then there are some people studying from the coding side of like procedurally generating and then there's always a hybrid or a marriage between the two got it so if i were to speak loosely like one can do like form generation by any like scripting or uh, sliders but uh, because uh, you guys are integrating like this uh, mathematical or physics based uh, simulation inside the generation phase like all this geometry also makes sense structurally and it's efficient in that material like that adds value to this generative phase yeah yeah that's uh, yeah that's kind of the goal as well is to kind of inform the geometry at a very early stage so we don't have to uh, it's already in a good domain the geometry is already in a good state so you don't have to uh, rationalize it later on so try to integrate it at a very but that's it doesn't happen in all the projects but that's kind of the idea is to uh, get integrated as early as possible so it is a bit more streamlined the workflows are more streamlined but mm -hmm. yeah if it is not but yeah we have tools to adapt to various stages as well so it's not like yeah one one thing fits all correct and like uh, from my experience like i see a lot of ai ac or ai architecture research published in conferences but it's very rare to find those applications in a uh, profession. So can you like throw some lights on like how you uh, try to bridge research and practice and also scale up this research in profession? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like for us, uh, um, yeah, so all of the research is kind of practice based uh, research. So it has to embed into it has to feed back into practice. So that's kind of the uh, research framework we have also in our academic setups. Uh, it's kind of 
correlated. So it it has to find application in an architectural design scenario. And, and that is where we, like any of the algorithms uh, we tend to develop or look at, it's always finding an application for it. So it's not like only writing pure, solving the algorithm. Uh, yeah, we are interested in making it faster and all of those things. But major goal is to find applications within within the architectural setup. And that's kind of the uh, that's kind of the core uh, fundamental aspects of code. I would say to write code which is applicable. So that's why we have a an architectural geometry is one of those aspects. Trying to that's and it's also the oldest research strand in the team. But now we have a bit more on uh, uh, like platform design. So trying to get stakeholder participation. So build up uh, platforms for configuring housing units or interior spaces uh, and trying to create an alphabet of uh, sp spatial modules, which can be then configured by an end user. Uh, yeah, on the machine learning aspect, yeah, like uh, I know there's quite a lot of things kind of happening on the image based ones, uh, but now, now it is becoming 3D. So there are 3D GANs and 3D uh, related machine learning aspects, uh, which is what we are currently also looking at because it is, again, ties back to geometry. And then, then once it becomes geometry, it's easier to plug into practice. And that's, that's the kind of the tendency. So we kind of, uh, even in the, some of the early studies we did on trying to predict topology optimization, uh, so the prediction again was based on geometry. So you can we predict using an input geometry uh, based on some constraints? Can we predict what is the topology optimized result? So that's where that was one of the early applications we did, and now currently we are looking at uh, 3D GANs because it is geometry related. Got it. And. Uh before we move on deeper into the platform design so what i what i'm forcing is like one way to do like sustainable uh, building design is ensuring optimized topology and uh, efficient material usage are there any explicit uh, developments uh, in the tech stack uh, which you are using it for sustainability or energy uh, or building performance mm -hmm. inside this tech stack uh, yeah, so in this one, mm, let me see if I can find the correct image. So yeah, we have a uh, environment and sustainability team, which is kind of developing uh, tools and workflow related to that. Uh, but we kind of worked with uh, 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 working with them to develop this. Uh, that's why I was also talking about uh, GPU computing uh, was kind of developed this solar tool. Uh, which is kind of similar to Ladybug, uh, but uh, a bit more real time. So it's using GPU to compute. The, uh, so at, while you design, you already get uh, like, so the input design is on the right. Uh, and then you, because for this kind of solar analysis, you need to subdivide it. You need like a lot of faces, right? Otherwise the results are not so accurate. Uh, so using GPU, you can compute uh, 50,000 faces almost parallelly. So that's why we were, we are trying to develop this. Uh, now it's in the pipeline. Uh, 
developing the Maya, Maya Solar. So it's kind of integrated into the uh, into the design workflow. So again, using in the interface, and then as you are modeling, you have an understanding of uh, uh, yeah the solar radiation and uh, those analysis. So you can almost real. This is happening real time. So you can see that as we change the geometry, you're getting a visual feedback on on the right. I, this is incredible. I love it because like I think like for for playfulness in during the design phase, like the faster inference, uh, like real time you get, like it, it encourages more experimental and explorative uh, parts. So this is amazing. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. It's still very, uh, it's still in early stages of development. But yeah, you can we can already see it's up, kind of perceive its application, right? So you, it's speeding up. Let's say one iteration. Uh, if you were to just do it through the CPU, uh, ten thousand faces would take at least one and a half to two and a half minutes after you set up to run the simulation. But in this case, you are almost getting. Uh, yeah, it's uh, like 12 milliseconds, right? So it's real time. Okay, so if, if I had to decode this development, like, so currently we are inferencing through Maya plugin. So the core core framework people have developed, like how it take an input geometry, like, and like talk to GPU for performance analysis uh, computation. And during that calling, like there's a formula to Oh, take the sun angle and like do the compute and do it parallel. So like, how did you engineer the GPU part? I think that's quite interesting. Yeah, the GPU was yeah, it's using the CUDA, uh, NVIDIA CUDA. Uh, that's what we use, uh, and that's why I was giving references to the NVIDIA GPU gems. Uh, it's like a very good uh, platform to see what people have done. You how to use the CUDA. Uh, and GPU for computing, and uh, that's where we learned, uh, uh, or I specifically learned how to code for uh, GPU, uh, and then, yeah. So uh, the basic structure is that each phase you are computing for each phase of the mesh, you you want to compute the sun angle, right? So we have to, you have to generate the data such that. At, for each phase, you have the required sun angle and all of the. Uh, you can analyze for all 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 year long, so your 365 days, and then you have uh, multiplied by, let's say you have eight hours of uh, sun vectors. Um, so that's around. I think it totaled around 50 million calculations, uh, something like this, if I correct right, I remember right, uh, which happens at at runtime on the gpu so yeah so it's kind of very so the problem itself is very gpu friendly because you are computing per phase of a building or per phase of a mesh which is uh, very gpu friendly you can parallelize it so the you need uh, you need problems which can be parallelized and this is one uh, one problem which can be i i see and just to like uh, pick your brain on that so if there are like two buildings in parallel and the shadow of first building is dependent on like the sunlight of other like what if there is yeah. a dependency between like those two it's like yeah. non-linear 
Uh, yeah, so that's uh, yeah that that one. Yes, that that you as you can see now it's working on an individual one, but uh, that is where uh, you can also compute the occlusion uh, in GPU. So uh, the example I gave on the NVIDIA paper was actually that occlusion one, right? The car was getting occluded. So we can write, uh, so the occlusion is also a GPU problem. So you can uh, get real-time occlusion data of, let's say if these are two buildings, uh, the occlusion of this casting a shadow on that is, is also a GPU uh, related. It can be put into the GPU or it can be uh, split such that uh, you can compute it real time for each face if it is getting uh, getting a shadow based on its surrounding so it'll it'll be a bit slower but still be real time so now if this is happening let's say five to ten milliseconds uh, the occlusion would uh, a computing occlusion would also take similar time so another five to six milliseconds so overall, it will be still be 17 milliseconds, which is on. Uh, so for real, real time, so this should be uh, close to 15. So then it will be it will be real time. But yeah, so it's still a bit slower, but uh, it can work. Got it. And I'm assuming like uh, I, I I was looking into WebGL and there are like online like GPU based library, which has also like built in physics because I have seen like uh, fluid simulation and it's also highly complex nonlinear problem. So there are, might be like built in functions one can call for those dependencies. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So for occlusion, like we don't have to write the code ourselves. There are already like lots of examples of how to write uh, things for occlusion. So this kind of answering your early question, like what would we write and what we would implement so there is no equivalent uh, gpu code for doing the uh, sun angle analysis but there is already a gpu code by written by developers in nvidia so which are much more robust uh, so there's no point in us investing and writing that code so in, in that case we will just borrow the occlusion related code and put it in our uh, kind of framework to work with the uh, uh, the solar analysis so similarly like if you have other uh, 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 cfd analysis or any of these fe analysis also but uh, fe analysis might be a bit difficult uh, to yeah maybe because it is a bit more dependent on the rest of the geometry so it's not i don't know if there are tools already that's all already great mm -hmm. i'm not aware of I it so like as AC technologies, like uh, like one should be aware about various open source libraries, various framework one could it integrate, but the then value we provide is domain use cases and customize it for and like develop like use cases from on top of it. Yeah, as I said, exactly. So uh, like even, so like quite a lot of the geometrical problems to solve for uh, fabrication, for example, uh, like like a lot of the geometry groups have already invested time and have PhDs writing papers about it. So in that case, we just try to read their papers. And uh, so if there is code available, we try to use their code, like for quad remeshing, for example, which is now part of uh, Rhino. 
but before uh, there was a quadri measure uh, developed by libigl so before rhino introduced their quadri measure uh, we were kind of using the libigl one to do the quadri mesh so there are already tools which do that so then we don't have to invest time in writing our own quadri mesh got it and can you uh, uh, walk us through like a, a project life cycle for platform design like i think that's very uh, like different yeah, yeah. okay sorry I, I think uh, you have the whole presentation so like we can continue like for the rest of the presentation yeah uh, yeah so it's kind of uh, yeah so the stack is kind of uh, useful uh, so the so for any project so first as i was saying there are these kind of uh, pilot projects oh i think i have the wrong video mm, okay i think this one mm, i don't know if i have the correct video here Yeah, so this kind of integrated pipelines uh, where we're trying to com combine. Uh, so this was uh, the framework kind of allows for this collaboration between multiple parties as well, right? So in this case, this was a collaboration with the block research group and incremental 3D uh, and made possible by Holsim. But uh, the workflow is kind of hybrid here. So we were, we were the design team, then it goes into structural analysis with block research group and then it comes back to us to develop these kind of print paths and then uh, it goes again uh, to the printing aspects so all of these uh, so the format here we had to come up with uh, because all of us have our own uh, frameworks it was easy to have like a custom uh, transfer of geom geometry so where we had to capture certain attributes so we had like a custom json format uh, which was sending it in the right information uh, from the design side to structural analysis they would do the analysis and send us back the similar json but with added attributes saying okay this geometry structurally has to be xyz uh, and this kind of topology works uh, under uh, rigid body physics or rigid body mod modeling and then then we use those forces to inform the uh, sign distance field based contouring of the geometry to pro generate the print paths and then once the print path is uh, done it sends to the incremental 3d platform where they read that same now a json with print information and start printing on their end so because of this custom platforms with all of all of the aec industry kind of investing in that uh, it's very easy to add custom attributes uh, which is kind of uh, very useful uh, when it comes to digital fabrication and digital uh, structural analysis so but at the same time like all of these again initially are all tested in sandbox environments so this is uh, uh, if the video works it's looking at the generate one of the versions of generating these uh, print paths or print planes for one of the blocks uh, in the striatus project so again again this is a sandbox environment where we are testing the code uh, to see if it works if it works then it becomes part of the pipeline and goes to maya or rhino 
and yeah so those these kind of collaborative projects is where actually the code generally gets developed so we have done quite a few of these over the last uh, 10 12 years uh, and each one kind of gives a feedback into structure or fabrication related things so looking at curve crease folding with robots or printing on a formwork, uh, hot wire cutting. So all of these, when we start, when we work on them, we develop the corresponding tool, which then gets back into the framework. Uh, right, yeah, so going on to uh, the projects. So, so we also do investigations to, uh, like we have to work on projects, right, and deliver pro on projects, so in this case, the tools which has been developed uh, can maybe help us uh, rationalize a roof uh, going from competition design on the left to uh, pre-schematic design on the right. Uh, it also allows us to negotiate with the structural engineer uh, to say because of the experience and the tools, we say, okay, there are other topologies which are also feasible. And then we negotiate with the engineer back and forth and then we settle on, uh, settle on a design. You can see that uh, there was a truss ring at, in the middle in the competition stage, uh, which was kind of removed in later stages in collaboration with the engineer. Mm -hmm. And then once that is done, uh, at later stages, we have to uh, create this kind of, uh, yeah, this I think most of the companies would also be doing uh, is kind of generate a geometric method statement is to how to create this geometry in a step-by-step -step manner. So be it be roof, facade, uh, paneling, all these geometries will be, you need to give a step-by-step -step method. So the fabricator uh, can recreate the same geometry without high deviation. Uh, so, so the transfer here is not the actual geometry, but the transfer is the method of saying, okay, this is how you produce produce any given geometry and then setting up these kind of tools for the uh, for them to say to see this kind of power bi kind of interface to understand what the average length of elements uh, can we cluster them into bigger clusters or smaller clusters and then finding an optimum uh, in in collaboration with the fabricator uh, in this case so, but this 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 will come at over later on, like DD DD stage. Yeah, I think that's the kind of the the different tools which we'll get we kind of use in different stages of the of the project. And then coming, was there a, was there anything related to the projects we want you wanted to discuss specifically? No, uh, I think like uh, you gave a really a good explanation of like, and uh, I really like the geometric uh, method statement because it really gives like a very structured approach about a development implementation. So yeah, and then it's the, yeah, it's the same. So in this case, uh, I, I just put the roof, but there are similar things for other parts. Uh, yeah, I don't have it in this one, but uh, yeah, you can understand uh, let me see if i have it on the other side mm -hmm. yeah this one 
So similarly, in the same, so we are looking at paneling, paneling of geometry, then again showcasing what are the different parameters in play to generate this geometry, and then optimize it for uh, the given paneling uh, strategy. So this is again looking at uh, terracotta paneling. And then this is the corresponding statement which is given to the fabricator. And similarly for the lures as well, again, optimizing it for certain things and giving. So there is, in general, sometimes you also transfer the code. So they don't, uh, with, with, uh, with the geometry, we transfer the code so they can they just use the code to recreate on their end. But if they, yeah, but if they don't want the code, if there are some legal implications, then uh, we transfer the method. I see. And like sometimes uh, I'm I'm forcing like this could become very complex where in the construction, like you might need to consider form work. There are like 10 types of form work and there are like location based. So what like what are some assumptions or simplifications you do in this? approach mm, yeah so like you generally yeah in, at, when it comes to that stage of the project we are more supervising so we are just uh, uh, commenting on what the fabricator uh, is proposing or the general contractor is proposing so yeah yeah it's interesting to we want to capture this information about how it is going to be built uh, in an early stage. Uh, trying to, uh, so let me see if I have the corresponding image. Um, it's kind of kind of leads into the platform side uh, as to how we can. Hmm, I don't know. I don't think I have it. So where we are kind of also thinking of uh, how. When we are designing the geometry, we are already considering these things. What will be the sequence of assembly? So we can think of optimizing geometry or design such that it is easy to produce them at a later stage. So that is something we want to influence our early stage geometrical frameworks with. Try to bring in these aspects about fabrication. How is it going to be fabricated? How much time it's going to take? Is If there is feedback about costing already, that would be uh, it would aid design and that is where the platform is the next step is to integrate all of these things to bring in the uh, full pipeline uh, but yeah currently in like in most of these large-scale projects uh, these kind of form work related things uh, happens at a later stage where we are just uh, supervising and advising on it uh, not actually developing tools for for that on commercial projects but uh, on these kind of platform based projects uh, yeah we are trying to bring that uh, into into the platform so it becomes part yeah. of it yeah and i could already see the value because if if you have like this fabrication based thinking in early stage like you would avoid a lot of back and forth and design revisions if like later you come up with a form which is not feasible for fabrication like it's it's a redo so it's it's great that you begin it at early yeah. stage yeah that's uh, that's kind of the exactly so we, we are not surprised uh, or we need to do uh, revisions major revisions at later stages so that's why it's good to 
start thinking about it very early so we already have an understanding of it also helps in the costing side uh, because you are able to um, the surveyor is able to cost it a bit more accurately because you are giving more information at early stage awesome now uh, uh yeah i'm curious to know like how you develop the platform design yeah so uh, the platform uh, path is yeah currently it's a ongoing pilot project uh, for a, a residential development in uh, rohatan in honduras uh, but kind of similar ideas also leads on to uh, the metaverse and uh, those applications as well but uh, on the platform side uh, the initial uh, so currently it was it was developed for um, bringing in a uh, uh, stakeholder participant uh, trying to get uh, all the actors uh, into into the platform at an early stage so the first service which was given out uh, was like the uh, currently the user is the end user so they can come in and configure the units uh, they want and show a video subsequently but the development also is again similar to coding uh, it was like a step by step uh, so it started off as a research so version 0 was like a, a research project uh, at the nahamad bhushan studio at the drl and then subsequently the students uh, they joined zaha and then subsequently uh, the platform idea was then kind of using the base knowledge which was understood in the their thesis project uh, but then adding other constraints now uh, building up various versions of the platform uh, so you can see here so the first version was this kind of game interface uh, which was developed at the DRL again at the Nahmad Bhushan studio and then this once it became part of a project within the office Uh, it's a bit more like a storyboarding. So, what do we want? So, this this is kind of uh, kind of borrowing from the animation industry. You create these kind of keyframes to say uh, how do, how do what do we want? What should be the features uh, we want? Uh, what should be clickable? What are the data we want to represent? So, we create these kind of keyframes uh, to understand what the configurator should be. and then once we have that uh, we kind of implement uh, early stage code uh, to see if it is feasible so this is like a very early version of the configurator uh, in unreal engine so in purely looking at the ui and so there is a bit of the ui design as well uh, what should be the graphics etc but at the same time uh, like another concurrent development so this is happening in like our sandbox environment to see how should be the geometry like what should be the selectable parts uh, can we create the geometry on the fly so if there are variations we can do so these are like kind of quick tests and kind of mimicking uh, the options we want to give in the configurator through kind of buttons in this sandbox environment so these buttons would eventually become these buttons or uh, these buttons here in when it goes into unreal so that was the initial uh, thinking and then not only the unit uh, trying to think of uh, 
how they aggregate the types of units kind of what should be the customization we want to incorporate and then yeah so we also wanted it to be showcasing structure various structural uh, things uh, and then kind of interior based if they can change interior layouts etc so this so these were kind of key frames which were made and then things were starting to get implemented uh, in the game engine so then again sequencing the player actions in the game uh, so seeing okay you log in then once you log in you need to select a unit once you have the unit you need to configure the unit uh, and then you set. so these are the different actions the player can take and at the back end trying to develop uh, like how to get these geometries onto 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 unreal so in this case again using like a custom json format so we can so the geometries might not be created in unreal right those geometries would be so some of them could be created uh, in uh, in place so that's the goal to procedurally generate in place uh, but some of them you can already create this kit of parts so these kind of are modeled or generated in other platforms but then you transfer it out onto onto unreal using a custom json format and then also transferring material so the goal is uh, i don't know if this is the correct video so you can see the current version of the configurator uh, so you join and then the user has a grid so if there was already use uh, user it would also say this user this plot is being bought looked into by three to four people and then once you have it you can choose the interior layout uh, you can choose where in the master plan you want your unit to be and other reason we use the configurator is also like the visual aspects right this uh, real-time rendering is like every every few months it's uh, improving very quite a lot uh, both in twin motion and unreal so that's also another reason uh, why we use unreal and uh, setting up the gameplay there yeah so this is looking at the interior options uh, various uh, interior things and then trying to keep a log of all the actions of the user and once they are happy they say submit and then we get the data of okay this unit is what was chosen and then subsequently design the rest of the like the communal aspects uh, based on the choices made by the end user but yeah, yeah the goal um, yeah sorry i i was about to ask like if if one can log all the user preference like that could also generate a really good uh, database of like what are the things in the geometry level or design level which particular users are attracted to, to to and like what are the things which people don't like so yeah so the choices are uh, you can so once and the user is happy with it and they press submit so the choices is transferred so it exports a, um, like a data of what were the choices of the user so we get that data back so we can yeah it's not tracking 
uh, it's now it's kind of tracking how many people are interested in a given block so because you're it's like a chessboard right so each voxel is has a value to it and it, if so there there is tracking of how many people are interested in this particular uh, voxel so and then eventually you can link that up into costing as well right if a lot if there is a lot of demand then those voxel will be a bit higher rate because uh, there's a lot of demand for that but if you go for a voxel which is has less demand probably the costing would can be varied so these are kind of interesting nuances you can bring into the gameplay mm -hmm. and and where do you draw the line between like things you want user to customize and things you want like a rule based algorithm ensuring structural integrity or feasible design Mm, yeah, so the feasible design, so I can, this is the correct video. So we had the, this kind of kit of parts, uh, which was developed. Uh, and then we kind of set up tools to uh, generate this uh, variations. What are the variations which are possible and which we can be happy with? And then where was uh, also the structural engineer was also on board to see, okay, analyze, okay, these are all in feasible territory that you can customize to for three to four. so there are eventually i think five types of units and then uh, you can change the roof type uh, if you want flat roof or uh, uh, this kind of vaulted roof uh, you can change the um, the interior and etc so the main structural elements um, yeah there are only five to six types so once we have the have the choices from the user then we have to uh, that model is again analyzed by the engineers to say okay this is feasible or not feasible but there's already like a thumb of rule to say so so we want to bring into into the configurator that idea okay this choice you're making is not structurally feasible so that would it would be removed from for that part of the gameplay so when it becomes like a multiplayer gameplay uh, that that information would already be there because this unit let's say at the bottom was chosen if this unit at the bottom is chosen then you can build on top of it but you can't be cantilevering out from it uh, quite a lot so certain voxels here because of the cantilever is really high those voxels will be switched off because if you, you're playing uh, you're playing based on an information of gameplay done by the previous buyer so then a few of the voxels would be hidden. Got it. And if I were to scale this globally, like what are the things like uh, one needs to customize, like for example, local building code compliance or egress compliance, like things yeah. uh, you, one need to consider? Yeah, so all of these, uh, so of all the actors uh, we are kind of showing in the first page, mm. So we want to bring in all of those into the platform as well. So there are these planner who comes in with their regulations. So it becomes part of the framework. Uh, and then, so now we looked at the end user bit uh, and then we develop parts of it for the developer to create uh, uh, strategies for, uh, so let me see if I have the one, I think it's this one. So here it's looking kind of like a massing model for, for the developer. 
so how many units are feasible so this comes at a very early stage in the platform so this is not configuring but looking at generating uh, what, given the number of units uh, which one has the best views uh, which one performs best in solar gain and etc so you create a metrics so this is also part of the platform and similarly the circulation aspects and uh, navigation planning these things in this particular project uh, was kind of happening concurrently because as we were developing the platform but uh, these things can also be part of the goal is to have them part of the uh, framework so if you are making a much more informed choice so basically trying to for each of these actors having some specific things in the platform and this also includes uh, the fabricator uh, the contractor etc and I could foresee like this could become its own metaverse. Like if there are various parts of, of land, people are building their homes and like it's kind of a Minecrafty way of giving people the freedom and their own metaverse. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's the reason why we are kind of interested in the metaverse as well. Like uh, uh, because it allows for the so it's like a natural step for the uh, configurator. Um, because like metaverse is kind of like home for computation it it kind of uh, procedure uh, kind of builds on procedural uh, generation of content you can make these variations uh, you can get customer feedback or user interaction and user content customization so these are kind of already features which are part of the metaverse and on top of it you get like really high fidelity images so this is kind of why we we are investing in that and uh, one of the early projects is this uh, uh, yeah, kind of urban incubator of economies. So it first to simulate the economy digitally and then actually build them in, in the physical world. So that's kind of like the, so it's similar to the decentral land in that sense that there is a digital version, but but if you invest in the digital bond, you are also investing in the physical aspect of of Liberland. So, so that's something we are kind of developing uh, currently. So it's as a next step for uh, the configurator. And and what do you think are the skill set uh, architects need to develop uh, to become more at par with game designers or three D artists to in compete in metaverse and like for the platform design like you mentioned about ui ux was part of it like storyboarding so what are non-architectural things one should be learning or preparing yeah that's uh, important like this kind of storyboarding and creating keyframes that's very important uh, and then yeah but there's like a lo lot of uh, the gameplay itself like how to set up a gameplay uh, like if it's one person gameplay or multi-person gameplay so there are set uh, uh, templates which you can look into both in unreal or unity uh, to understand how these gameplays can be set up so and especially in this one it is not not like uh, a choice one person one user makes might influence the choice of the next one so it's not like you're concurrently playing uh, at the same time but it's kind of after one you do the next so you need to look into of uh, uh, read uh, to game theory understand uh, game theory and 
a bit of that uh, and then as well looking at um, uh, yeah this kind of technical implementation of the game uh, how we can get design geometries into it uh, how to actually do this user interface it's like one is the design of the user interface but the second is actually setting up knowing the technical know-hands of how to make these buttons right so these things uh, you also need to uh, develop code for that but but these things are now kind of easily available in unreal now so uh, to create it again would be much faster because things are uh, available so there's like a yeah. hud plugin or something which does similar things and like there is a difference in like a traditional design where like we have like a developer client and like depends on like participatory design like here when we are developing ui ux it's a whole spectrum of users uh, which is like could be from young people to old people and with different backgrounds so uh, while developing ui ux like was there any like a case study or user interviews which helped in this creation uh yeah so there was a pilot group uh with uh, whom uh, this was tested and trying to get feedback from so before the configurator was made available so there was like a focus group who was work looking at it and giving feedback of okay this is working this is not working so they were kind of early uh, kind of testers uh, to get that feedback yeah. so there was a focus group awesome and uh i know like you you have some uh latest announcements about pubg so uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just a, uh, kind of yeah we just launched uh, a game in pubg it was a collaboration with uh, pubg mobile uh, trying to design a, a building for gameplay so it was kind of uh, again looking on developing uh, designs for gameplay and it's, it's kind of interesting in the sense that uh, similar constraints that there are you need spaces to be navigable but uh, interesting bits is uh, you should not be easily viewable right you, you should you should have spaces to hide and so you can have a vantage point and the goal here is to not be seen so, but in in a de uh, architectural design sense we'll think of atrium spaces with like uh, where you can see a lot of people right so so there's like a bit of a change there uh, and then thinking about uh, on the technical side uh, yeah so that there is interest there in the sense that you need to optimize these geometries uh, similar to real world but uh, the real world is uh, economic based or construction based right so you optimize geometries for that but here the value is to optimize geometry for performance so it has to work on a phone so the the budget here is the number of polygons uh, and the number of materials and so you so we need to kind of rethink of how we can design um, because of these uh, based on these constraints so I, in that sense it was kind of an interesting collaboration and it's for uh, yeah so now part of uh, the air angle map there so uh, all of you feel free to 
yeah, download and uh, give us feedback of how you find the gameplay. Yeah, and I, I was so proud, like when I got to know about, oh, architectural firm is engaging with like a big uh, like project like this with PUBG, like, like we, literally this sets up precedents for like future people to even consider this uh, business avenues uh, in the place. And Vishu, uh, for, uh, what I feel is like, sometimes I feel like a techno technological divide. So there are schools like AA, IAC or Bartlett, we have, which has like AI courses or gaming courses. And there are like colleges which are still like getting used to computational design and grasshopper. So if you were to like hypothetically teach a course which covers like futuristic architectural technology, what are the course content you will create and what are the skills you will prepare students for being futuristic agnostic? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, for, I think there's like a lot of um, interest uh, in game, game technologies because uh, like all of these optimization and things were being happening for a, uh, they have been, they have looked into it for a, a longer time than us. So uh, so there's like a lot of already robust tools inside of these game environments. So that would be one. Uh, but yeah, again, it's um, uh, what I forgot. Yeah, kind of thinking about you know, trying to integrate like a bit of coding at an early stage. So like not everyone needs to code uh, for sure, but if you work in teams, if there is at least one, generally in the DRL uh, or at the Bartlett, there'll be one person in the team who is more oriented to that kind of coding aspect. Uh, so that's good. Uh, so you can, like it helps you solve quite a lot of these problems. So I think that would be uh, one of them. But at the same time, this is on the technical side, but you also need the uh, tectonic side, right? So like you need a design and visual design side which is kind of training your eye for things which are feasible with these tools so you need that design exploration to check what these tools can do and that trying to develop an eye for that uh, so that this kind of a skill which can't be taught but i think which you can gain by doing it doing things or practicing uh, design with these tools so it will take a while, but uh, I think that that mix of design and computation is, I think, will be a core uh, a core to design any such courses. So you can't be fully technical or fully oriented to design. So there should be a amalgamation or hybrid. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's say I'm a student in India and uh, I really want to be a part of Zaha Code Research and uh, I might not be able to go to A for some reasons or like some uh, the best uh, architectural techno technological uh, colleges. Mm -hmm. What I can do to become like really uh, portray myself that I can get hired at your group and like things I can learn on my own from online courses or things that I can prove like I can add value to the group. Yeah, so this like all of the things we kind of show this uh, 
yeah we kind of learn on our own right so it's not like not like a tutorial out there where we have to uh, figure we had to figure out a lot of things on the go so like so that's why there's like a lot of things out there which you can self-learn which is kind of cool now that with access to like twitter and all of these forums you have access to so much information and so much knowledge which you can learn from uh yeah and then trying to create a portfolio which kind of communicates uh, what your interests are and trying to showcase this application uh, of computation if you're interested in computation design trying to showcase that how you can use the tools you set up in design so generally uh, like people who are interested on uh, you get a like a lot of portfolios which are purely design based or purely computational based but then if you can showcase an application then it is already uh, yeah you're taking it to the next step right you're trying to think of what is the application of the tool you're developing and that is quite important in a practice-based research group that these things have to find application so knowing the skill is one thing but if you can show applications create a proof of concept so then that will most likely catch the eye mm -hmm. and it will differentiate you from uh, probably the rest that's a great piece of advice and i also feel like if uh, someone shows like they made contributions to the open source libraries like compass like that also showcases like you have the capability of like adding a good like fun first first principle of coding approach yeah yeah exactly so yeah so in yeah most of the people all of us in the team are like architects first right so we're all interested in design and then computation is uh, is also we are also interested in computation so it's kind of uh, a hybrid of these two and uh, if you can but as maybe as the team grows i don't know uh, we might have very like very specific uh, people who are purely into coding they might also get hired and people who are purely into design they might also get hired at, at, as we are currently a small team uh, we kind of look for people who are good in both but if the team grows then maybe we are looking more at specialists but uh, i don't know that <laughs> what the future holds there mm -hmm. uh, we have a question from karan for learning more about advanced algorithms and geometry can you suggest uh, some learning resources or uh, and also like mrch in adrl okay i think those are two separate questions so resource for what the resource for um, advanced algorithms and geometry learning resources um, yeah so geometry related um, things yeah look into uh, yeah look at uh, igl interactive geometry lab uh, geometry lab in tu vienna uh, look at the uh, geometry collective at uh, carnegie mellon uh, and uh, look at uh, I think there is a geometry colloquial or some something like this at uh, Toronto. 
so yeah these are kind of uh, forums i i generally look at because uh, people from these institutes are doing pretty cool things uh, in the geometry based things but on the aec side yeah like uh, on the um, block research group at eth uh, epfl uh, again in uh, zurich um yeah like also like iac uh, and uh, other institutes like bartlett and uh, in us as well uh, like uh, pennsylvania state where there is uh, uh, there are masters there now as well for robotic fabrication design for robotic fabrication and then there is like polyhedral structural lab uh, which is looking at structure related things so yeah i think there is like a lot of institutes you can look at and trying to know the key uh, figures of research in that domain and once you know them then you know the network uh, so uh, you, then you know the network of people doing it then naturally you will find resources uh, uh, which will keep you it's kind of like the search engine optimization you guys like if you search a few things over and over again then you start getting recommendations from google right saying okay the, this might be of interest for you this might be of interest. so yeah start small look at these small uh, like this uh, these groups i suggested but then through your searches and through your papers you will uh, understand more such uh, people and researchers in different institutes uh, which you uh, which will help you um, uh, take forward your research i see and, and, and then for geometry modeling in in general yeah like look at uh, uh, like uh, so generally uh, there is uh, not specific to architecture uh, but there are these kind of very modeling of uh, characters for uh, animations uh, there are like like a lot of tutorials in maya uh, forums and uh, uh, cg persia where they showcase the benefits of mo modeling uh, using subdivision modeling and how you can start with a low polygon model and then incrementally add detail so it's nothing related to architecture but it's but we kind of use the same principles when we design buildings so we start with a low polygon and then subsequently add things and details as we design things so there's like a lot of uh, correlation but understanding these kind of modeling techniques from the animator uh, is already because they have been doing it for quite a long time uh, is very useful and that kind of gives you a skill set and then you're trying to apply it in your field so naturally you would create building designs so it's amazing and i i guess like uh, conferences are also a great opportunity to network with with these people so any particular conference or workshops uh, you recommend mm. yeah it, conferences like uh, advances in architectural geometry is a conference uh, which is uh, focused on architectural geometry uh, specifically so and then there is fabricate uh, which is looking at uh, fabrication and technological aspects of uh, digital fabrication. Uh, so that's another one. But that happens every three years. Uh, AAG happens every two years. Uh, and then for computer, 
so SIGGRAPH is like a uh, like you get all the best papers in uh, computer graphics. So that's uh, if you if you can read papers from there, uh, that's already good. And if you can go to SIGGRAPH, uh, that's a great plus. Um, and then yeah, there is yeah digital futures uh, the platform where where you get people from all around the world coming speaking about things uh, giving workshops and tutorials so that's kind of another but because it's I don't know, because it's online you don't get to meet a lot of people but if there is like a physical before it was a physical one uh, before the pandemic so you could meet meet them physically and uh, network uh, and the digital one it's a bit uh, yeah it's still a great platform you get to see a wide range of work and then get to know who is doing what and then most of these people are also very accessible on linkedin instagram so you can just contact them once you know them you can just contact them there and uh, i have this last section about rapid fire so if you want to stop sharing like it's totally yeah. Yeah, so uh, in, in this section, I generally ask like questions and you have like 10 seconds to answer and you got to keep it very brief. So <laughs> uh, let's do this. So first question is, which city is in your travel bucket list? Which cities? <laughs> uh, I would say Rotan next to so hopefully go see our building there. Uh, your favorite food cuisine or dish? Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not very particular of any cuisine. <laughs> I, I like all of them. I try to, I generally like uh, foods from all, all over the place. So I keep trying different, uh, different food. Um, yeah, I like different, uh, different cuisines, not a favorite one. Uh, any particular business book or technical book which made a big impact in your life? Mm, no, I, I generally read quite a lot of uh, fiction book. So um, I don't read the uh, business related books. I generally I'm not a fan of um, that. Mm, yeah, so I don't know. I can't recommend any. But yeah, I'm currently reading uh, this book uh, called, um, yeah, I read a lot of fiction, actually. Uh, mm -hmm. That's more of my interest. <laughs> I see. And uh, your favorite movie? Movie? Mm, okay. Again, I'm a, uh, like a lot of movie buff, so I see quite a lot of movies. Recently, I've been uh, for re watching uh, like a lot of regional movies, especially in India. So, uh, from the Malayalam movie industry, uh, uh, because there's like a new age kind of films coming there. So I kind of like that. Uh, so there's a few actors there I follow and try to see a lot of their movies. But um, like an all-time favorite, maybe like The Godfather is kind of my all-time. <laughs> I see. And uh, how does a day in your life look like? Mm, yeah, it's regular, <laughs> similar to everyone else, I think. <laughs> yeah, kind of 
yeah, there is you go to the office and then if they if it's a day of um, meeting students, then I also go to the UCL. Uh, um, yeah, predominantly it is. Uh, yeah, you get up and go to go to the office. Mean, yeah, that's something working from home. You don't you kind of miss is now you don't meet people. That's kind of the thing I miss. So now that now it's hybrid because of hybrid, I tend to go a couple of days a week to the office, meet people, and then also go to the UCL uh, one of the days of the week. Yeah. <laughs> I see. And is there anything uh, you wish you would have done differently in life? Mm -hmm. uh. <laughs> yeah, so I, I would wish I would wish I knew all these tools uh, before. So then we would be doing a lot more things. Um, yeah, if it was, let's say, you get a, if we had learned these tools in the undergraduate, uh, then you would naturally get a head start, uh, which is something if it was feasible or the institutes are now opening up to such things, uh, it's all already, you, there's a lot of advantage in knowing it um, before you come to the masters. Uh, and especially we see that in like all the new students who come in, uh, like they generally know a lot of grasshopper and these things before they come to the institute, and which was not the case for me personally. Like I didn't know, know so much of what the students know now when I joined. So maybe a head start there would have been good. It's commendable, like the amount of things like you're doing like in such a short period of time, like it's it's amazing. And lastly, like what's your vision of futuristic architecture look like in 2025? Like uh, yeah, new business models, new avenues, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, currently like uh, the metaverse and cyber physical spaces are getting a lot of traction and there's like a lot of interest. Uh, and I think there will be, so because we as uh, designers will also be creating these NFTs and uh, there'll be a lot of people doing it and designing for virtual spaces. So I don't know if there will be, there should be, maybe a contractual change there because uh, like as a designer you're contributing to the nft and if the nft uh, gets a lot of money uh, there should be a contractual change in how, how the designer uh, gets paid i think so and then in terms of yeah so there is this kind of lot of cyber physical spaces uh, which are a kind of it's going to be interesting in the next few years there's going to be a lot of virtual uh, equivalents. Uh, so like galleries will have a virtual gallery where they can showcase more uh, items or keep changing things more on a more frequent basis and get feedback uh, on a virtual gallery. And similarly, you can have uh, uh, create economies virtually first, see if things are feasible and then you build. So this kind of hybrid things are going to be uh, quite popular or I think trend going to trend in the next couple of years. So the design of buildings also will naturally change using when you're having these constraints. Awesome. So my last question is, is there anything which we didn't co cover in this interview and you would like to share as a concluding statement? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you can 
uh, generally uh, finish with a thank you slide. So <laughs> and, uh, you can yeah feel free to contact us. Uh, we are quite open on all the social handles like on LinkedIn or, or Instagram. Uh, yeah, if you have any questions to ask, uh, yeah, feel free to just ping us and we will answer it. <laughs> yeah, and I must say like uh, Vishu is very approachable and when I was brainstorming about this session, it was an amazing uh, uh, experience and Vishu is very supportive. So definitely I'll also share uh, Vishu's Instagram handle on the video description. but. Thanks a lot, Vishu. It was like quite insightful and amazing interview. And uh, <laughs> thanks for so, being so honest and sharing all the thought processes. Okay, no worries. Thanks for the entry. It was a pleasure seeing and discussing things. So always a pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. thanks if you are visiting that. Chicago, let me know. We should definitely meet. Visit, visiting where? Sorry. Chicago. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe Nick, maybe Acadia this year, if it happens physically, maybe we meet there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Awesome. Cool. Have a good rest of your night. See you. Yeah, thanks. Thank you.